Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. You know, the Bible tells us in the 14th chapter of Luke, in verse 28, the Bible simply tells us that no man decides that he is just going to, you know, build a tower. It, it, it says it's something like this. No man intending to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost to see whether or not he has enough, whether or not he'll be able to complete it. Because if he is not if he does not have enough to finish it, you know, all of his work would be in vain and it would all be lost and it would all come to nothing. Which one of us intending to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? We are told that Jesus Christ, son of almighty God, word of Jehovah, that before the foundation of the world, he and his father had counted the cost of creating man in their own image and giving man free will. They had counted the cost of creating a world in which we could live and thrive. They counted the cost and they understood. You know, it is one thing to count the cost but it is something completely different to be willing to pay the price. It's one thing to sit down and see what is it going to take to finish this? What will it take to make this work? But it's a completely different moment when you get to that point. And it's not just accounting of the cost all of a sudden it's a requirement to pay the price. Well, that will figure into our message tonight, although I had not intended to share that, but duty cannot be determined by the known or the unknown measure of danger or discomfort. I'll say that again, duty cannot be determined by the unknown are the known measures of danger or discomfort. I'm so glad that Jesus took that seriously. Tonight, the message titled tonight as we are continuing our study in the book of Acts and we'll be looking specifically tonight uh, at Acts 21, we'll, we'll, we'll step into Acts 20 for just a moment to set up Acts 21, and, and we will share out of Acts 21 tonight. But uh, the title of this message tonight is something that may sound a little humorous, but uh, hopefully it will, you know, achieve its point. The message title tonight is, You Can't Be My Holy Ghost, But You Can Be My Friend. Yeah. You can't be my Holy Ghost, but you can be my friend. And so, 
before we get to Acts, as I said, we'll be stepping into Acts 20 for just a moment and then into chapter 21 to continue our study. But before we get there, let me read this passage out of Mark, excuse me, out of Matthew chapter 16, reading from the New King James Version, verse 21. It says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. As they're walking along, Jesus just begins to share with his closest friends, his most admirable supporters, with those uh, he had called to be with him. And he says to them, listen, I'm going to suffer many things when we get to Jerusalem and I'll, I'll, I'll be given over into the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the scribes. And, 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 and you know, uh, it's not going to be a pretty sight and it's going to end up with my death. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll be raised on the third day. Well, verse 22 says, then Peter, perhaps one of his closest, took him aside. He didn't want to embarrass Jesus publicly. He didn't want to correct Jesus publicly. So in his nice manner, Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, that... This shall not happen to you. You are, you're not going to suffer. Basically, over my dead body, I'm not going to allow the elders and the scribes and the chief priests to, 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 to scourge you and beat you and arrest you and spit on you and slap you and, and, and strip you and mock you and put a crown of thorns on your head and drive nails into your hands and into your feet. I'm not going to allow them to kill you. No. Now you, you stop talking like that. Far be it. I will not let this happen to you. Verse 23. But Jesus turned and said to Peter. Get behind me Satan. Get behind me. You personification of evil. Get behind me Satan. You are an offense unto me. You're agitating me. You're irritating me. You're aggravating me. You're offending me. You are an offense to me. You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And what he's saying is, you know, this is your opinion, Peter, and you are thinking only in one realm. And because you can't see it, you can't believe it, you can't embrace it because you don't feel it, because you don't know it, because God hadn't said it to you, you think I'm wrong. It appears that Jesus, as I said, got a little agitated at Peter and, and Peter's attempt, uh, Peter thought he was trying to protect and encourage Jesus. Jesus saw it a little different. Jesus saw it as Peter attempting to discourage him. From doing the will of God because Jesus's duty could not be measured it could not be determined by the known or unknown dangers in his future or the discomfort that he would go through you know he had counted the cost and he had embraced you know the call 
He had said yes. And now he was going to be faced with paying the price. It was God's will for his life. And Jesus was in enough struggle. Jesus was struggling enough with what to do. Do you think Jesus wanted to be crucified? You think he wanted to be separated you know, from his friends? And do you think he wanted to be scourged? You, you, you think he wanted to have nails driven through his feet and his hands? Do you think he wanted to feel alone and lonely, forsaken and forgotten, rejected and, 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 and you know, uh, abused? Do you think he wanted? No, he didn't want that. And he was struggling with that. He was struggling with paying the price. He, he understood what it would cost, but now he was faced with, what am I going to do? Now this has gotten real. Now this has gotten hard. And Jesus did not need any encouragement to not go through with his commitment. I know that Peter loved Jesus. And in Peter's opinion, this would be so unfair, so wrong but Jesus could not afford to have Peter's opinion on something so critical as this. It was evident that Peter had not heard from God, but Peter was just trying to save his life. Sometimes it can be a very difficult personal struggle on the inside of us to do the will of God, to reach for the duty to pay the price. Sometimes it can be so difficult when we are faced with these moments, as was Jesus, that, that we don't need anyone trying to save our lives. We need someone to encourage us to be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, for the Lord your God is with you, and he shall be with you. He will never fail you, and he will never forsake you. His grace is sufficient. Later on, Jesus continued in his struggle, and we see him. A week later, we see Jesus in a garden of called the Garden of Gethsemane, and there he's still praying in this struggle. He's praying sweat drops of blood. So intense was the stress on his life, and, and he cries out to his Father God, is there any other way? If there is any other way, let this responsibility pass from me. Let this cup pass from me. Let this moment pass from me. I don't want to do this hearing what only he could hear hearing what only a person upon whom the Holy Spirit is speaking to them about their life more than the collection of friends more than the threats and the fears of this life and our humanity, more than opinions, more than what others might lovingly want for us, we must hear the voice of God. And the voice of God said to him, there is no other way. This is my will. And Jesus rose from that and declared what his mother had declared 
almost 35 years earlier when she had said, be it unto me according to your will, O God. Whenever she said, I trust you, I absolutely trust you for the unknown. I know that I will be rejected. I know that this will cost, but I trust you. Be it unto me according to your will. He repeats that same heart of his mother, and he says, Father, in, in Luke 22, verse 42, if it is your will... Take this cup from me, nevertheless, not what I want, not my will, not anyone else's opinion, not what is comfortable, but your will be done. No doubt, his mother and him were aware that the wisdom of Solomon given to him by God, written in Proverbs, specifically chapter 3, verses 5, 6, and the first part of verse 7, said to them already, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he shall direct your path. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Don't just look out for yourself and what earthly wisdom, what man's wisdom, what you would say is best for me. But rather, what is best for you, Father? The Apostle Paul was in Greece. In Acts chapter 20. And he heard the voice of God. He was the one who should have heard it. Because God wanted him to do something. God didn't speak to his friends. He didn't speak to his companions. They had their ideas. They had their opinions. They had their desires. But God spoke to the apostle Paul. And he said, Paul, I want you to go to Jerusalem. And when you get there, it's not going to be easy for you. But I want you to go anyway. And I want you to be there by the day of Pentecost. And so the Apostle Paul tells his companions, gather with me. They get on a boat and they sail across the Aegean Sea. They land in Asia, in Eurasia. Specifically, they decide or the Apostle Paul decides that he cannot afford to stop at Ephesus because he knows it will take him longer there to, to meet and greet the people. He had been there uh, three years just prior, and, and, and there he had shared the gospel, and it was a, a great number of believers, and he knew he didn't have the time to stand there. And so, uh, so he sent a messenger to Ephesus who, 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 who got there and told the elders of the church in Ephesus to walk 30 miles south and to meet him in a small town called Miletus, which was another port city. And, and there, uh, he, he continued sailing in the ship and went down to Miletus. And there the elders met with the apostle Paul. 
And we pick up on this conversation in Acts chapter 20 as we're stepping back a little bit. Verse 22. He says to the elders who loved him, the elders of Ephesus, who, whom he had raised up there, whom he had shared the gospel with and taught them uh, you know, uh, for, for two years in a school and spending perhaps three years in total there with them. And, and, and he says to them in verse 22, And see now, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem. I've heard from God and, and, and I have bound myself. I have made a commitment to the Spirit of God not knowing the things that will happen to me there. I don't know what it, what's going to happen, but, 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 but I am bound. God has given me this direction, and I am bound. I don't know what's going to happen to me when I get there, verse 23, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, in all the cities that we walk to, getting to, 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 to Neapolis, to the port city in Greece, and, 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 and all the places that we stop. In every city, the Holy Spirit is testifying, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Well, the Bible, if you continue reading in chapter 20, you would find out that, that there they all did their best to try to dissuade the Apostle Paul from continuing on that journey. And, and when he said, no, basically, I, I must go. And, and, the, and the saddest thing is that you will not see my face anymore. This is the last time that you'll ever see me. And, and so they, they, they ended up falling upon his neck and, 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 and they kissed him and they wept and they sorrowed for the words that he said and then they walked him onto the ship they went ahead and supported his decision to get on the ship and he sailed away they they sailed around that that south western portion of what is now Turkey out into the Mediterranean and 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 they sailed uh, as though they were going to Joppa it, it 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 appears because the Bible says they passed Cyprus on their left the island of Cyprus and then they circled around a little bit and headed up a little farther north perhaps with the trade winds or or or, or whatever and they landed in the city of Tyre uh, which you've heard of Tyre and Sidon and, and and this is the city of Tyre it was in Syria where they ended up landing and 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 we we, we pick up in chapter 21 now with with the Apostle Paul and his group he's got a, a, a large group of people with him and 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 in, in every city they have been telling him him that chains and tribulations await him, but he feels he's heard from God. In verse 4 of chapter 21, they, they, they landed in Syria in this city of Tyre, and, and, uh, which is, um, you know, he says, and finding certain disciples there in Tyre, we stayed there seven days, and they told Paul through the Spirit, not to go to Jerusalem. You know, don't go, don't go, don't go. I mean, he's heard it in every city. He's hearing it again. From friends, from disciples, from well-meaning Christians, no different than Jesus hearing from Peter, a disciple, someone who was about to take over the reins and the rule of the whole kingdom of God on planet Earth, who would have the keys of the kingdom, and the church would be built upon the foundation of Peter the rock, and this revelation that he had of who Christ was, and this well-meaning uh, disciple.
disciples as Jesus don't go and hear these disciples. These were not just, you know, uh, just people in the streets. These were disciples who heard something, who had some concern as to what was going to happen to him when they got there and extrapolated that concern to say to him, do not go to Jerusalem. Well, you know, if you continue reading, you find out that the apostle Paul told him, I've got to go. And so... They went with him, their wives and their children. They walked him all the way out of the city, verse 5 it would tell you. And they knelt down with him and they prayed for him. They, the last city, they walked him to the boat. Here they walked him out of the city along with their wives and children and knelt down and prayed with him. They didn't just sever a relationship because you're doing something I don't believe you ought to do. You're not going to obey me. You're not going to follow me. I'm telling you what, I'm a disciple. I'm a prophet. I'm a, you know, I'm... I'm an apostle. I'm sorry, but the one who heard from God is on his way. And I love the fact that these are sharing their counsel and sharing their heart, but ending up walking with him and supporting him and kneeling and praying with him. Well, the next day, as they, they left Tyre, the next day they, 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 they came to Caesarea. And in Caesarea, there was a man who lived there named Philip. You remember in Acts, the sixth chapter, he was one of the original seven deacons. Later, he became an evangelist and went to Samaria and preached a great revival. And the whole city was, you know, was saved. And they, they were subsequently filled with the Holy Spirit. It changed, you know, a whole generation. And, and then this same Philip was, went out into the desert between... Jerusalem and, and, and Gath. And there he led this Ethiopian to the Lord and then was caught up in the spirit and translated you know, to, 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 a, to another place, to Azotus. Well, now this young man, Philip, now he's, he's, he's a little older. He's 25 years older, by the way. And now, uh, you know, it's about the year 58 AD. And here... This is perhaps the first time Paul's ever met him. We don't know. But it's the first time we see them interacting in the scriptures. And Paul gets off the ship and his companions and they go to the house of Philip. And Philip has four daughters, the Bible says. They were virgins. And they were, they had the gift of prophesying. Fulfilling what Joel had said in chapter 2 of Joel and prophesying that upon your sons and your daughters I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. You know, women were not by and large accepted as teachers. They could not share publicly or teach publicly, but offered much counsel, especially those who were moved by the Holy Spirit, and, and, and they would come. And so here these young ladies would prophesy. They, they, they were well known for, for, for having the Spirit of God. They, were, they, they, they had devoted themselves to God. And so, uh, you know, here the apostle Paul and his companions are going to stay in the house of Philip the evangelist. In verse 10, and we stayed many days. And a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt. 
It was basically a sash as we understand it, that, 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 that you know, when, when, when Paul would put his coat on, his outer garment, they would tie this on and, and it would keep his clothes on basically. And when you would go into a house, you would take it off and hang it up with your cloak and hang up your sash or your belt. And here he took Paul's belt and he bound his own hands and he bound his feet. And then he said, thus says the Holy Spirit. Here the Holy Spirit's going to speak one more time. So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Man, when you get to Jerusalem, whoever owns this belt, your hands and your feet, you're no longer going to be able to go where you want to. You're no longer going to be able to do what you want to. And you're going to be delivered over, not just to the Jews, but you're going to be delivered to a Gentile godless nation. Gentiles are going to be in charge of your arrest your restrictions, and your life will then be in their hands. Now that is something that a Jew did not want. No one else did either. But you are not guaranteed really good, nice treatment if you are not an accepted part of the class and culture in that day, specifically these Roman Gentiles. So, I mean... The conclusion would be, what, what would your conclusion be for the Apostle Paul? Probably what the Apostle Peter's conclusion was for Jesus. Don't do that. Uh, ain't going to happen. Let's don't go. No. Probably what everyone else had been telling Paul all along the way. And so, you know, whoever owns this belt. Now, now the prophet is not saying, therefore thou shalt not go. You know, there's a difference between a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom. A word of knowledge says, Noah, it's going to rain. Mm, great. Word of wisdom is, Noah, build a boat. Oh, hey, good idea. Okay. You can know something and not know what to do about it. It could have just rained on Noah's head all day long if he didn't know what to do about it. And here, the Holy Spirit is not saying, don't go. The Holy Spirit is saying, you know, you're going to have a difficult time when you get there. So here in verse 12, now when we heard, we, you notice the word we? Luke is including himself. Luke is the writer of this. Luke is including himself in the we. I was right there in the, in the boat with him. I was right there in the group. I was, I, I'm, I was feeling like everybody else was feeling. Now when we heard these things, both we and those at that place, both the ones that came with him from Greece, and also, you know, those four virgin prophetesses, prophetesses and Agabus and Philip and everybody else that was there, we and those from that place pleaded. We begged, we pleaded, we struggled, we wrestled with Paul and told him, do not go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? Come on, guys. You're breaking my heart. I mean, it's, 
It is hard enough. I mean, do, do you think I don't know this? Do you think I don't know how tough it's going to be? Do you think I have not counted the cost? Do you think that I know there will come a day when I would be asked to pay the price? Do you think I do not understand what it means to be bound, to be beaten? Do you know how many times I've been beaten? How many times I've been bound? Do you know how many times I've been afraid for my life? Do you understand? I know, but I am bound by the Spirit of God who has spoken to me and told me, go to Jerusalem. Why? Why are you crying and pleading with me? You're breaking my heart. Don't you understand that I am ready not only to be bound like Agabus has shown, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus if it is his will that in his pleasure that my life can benefit his cause, then here I am. Choose me, God. Wow. If you read verse 15, it simply says this. It says, after those days we packed up and we went to Jerusalem. <laughs> I like the way the New King James says it. So we just packed up and left. Mm. You know, there is... A story in the Old Testament. It's an account of Father Abraham. Most of you know Abraham, this covenant partner with God. Abraham was 135 years old. When the Lord said to Abraham, Abraham, sacrifice your son. Your only son. Your covenant son. Go to a place that I'll show you and there sacrifice him. Contrary to the movie that I saw when I was a child, there's no indication that Abraham beat the rocks with his fist and cried and complained and moaned and groaned. But rather there's every indication that Abraham believed God and trusted God and said, yes, sir. And so the Bible says that the next morning Abraham got up and he, and, and, and he loaded his donkeys and he took a couple of servants and, and there he carried wood for the sacrifice and he carried fire, he carried knife and, and there he went northward and he walked for three days and on the third day he came to a place that we now know as Mount Moriah. We now know it as the city of Jerusalem. We now know it as Mount Calvary, that top of that hill. And we know now that there as he left his servants at the bottom of that hill with the donkeys. He, he, he took the fire and he, and he laid the wood upon his son's shoulders and, 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 and he kept the knife with him and he said, come on Isaac, we're going up this hill and sacrifice to God. Isaac is about 35 years old. He's not this 10 or 11 year old little boy. He's a strapping young man. His daddy's 100 years older. I think he could take his daddy. Isaac turns to Abraham and says, Abraham, he says, Dad, I see the wood and I see the fire. Where's the sacrifice? His father said, Son, the Lord will provide. 
himself a sacrifice. With that, Isaac didn't moan and groan. He didn't complain. He just walked up that hill carrying his cross. At the top of that hill, Abraham builds an altar to the Lord. He lays the wood in place. He makes ready the fire. And then he walks over to his 35-year-old son, and he begins to tie him up, binding his hands, binding his legs and his feet. And then, no doubt, Isaac has to, in some way, assist his father as his father moves him over to this altar and lays him down on the altar. With the fire in place and the knife in the father's hand, and there Abraham draws the knife back, and as he is ready to come down and sacrifice his son, the voice of the Lord speaks and says, Abraham, do not harm Isaac. Now, a few things we see from this picture. One is, at the bottom of that hill, Abraham had heard from God. Isaac had not. Isaac did not know what God wanted. Isaac was oblivious to the plan of God. Abraham heard God. Isaac didn't. Isaac had to trust that Abraham heard God and go with him. Like those we've read about, Peter and James and John had to just trust that Jesus had heard. They hadn't. They just got in line Peter said, yes, sir, and went with him. Just like those companions of the apostle Paul and those friends and supporters and those that he had led to the Lord and disciples and, 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 and the prophets and the prophetess and the, and the evangelist Philip had to just trust that Paul has heard from God. Instead of saying, well, you know, if that was the will of God, I'd know it. I guess if God wanted you sacrificed, he, you would. Is that what you want to hear? That you're the one that's going to be beaten? That you're the one that's going to be bruised? That you're the one that's going to be bound? That you're the one that's going to be delivered? That you're the one that's going to be, you know, scourged and nailed to a cross? Is that what you want to hear? Maybe God's talking to the right person. So sometimes we hear from God. But sometimes we have to trust that we're hearing from someone who's heard from God under whose authority we stand. And we should not withhold support just because it seems hard or difficult because duty cannot be determined by the measure of the task at hand. It's danger or it's discomfort. Another thing we learn from Abraham and Isaac that reflects upon this is that Abraham heard from God, sacrifice Isaac. Three days later, he hears from God, don't. 
Abraham could have said, oh, come on, God, which one is it? Are you schizophrenic? You know, sacrifice the kid, don't sacrifice the kid. Well, you know, what is it, God? Come on. No. God had a plan. He always does have a plan. Sometimes he sends you down the road to get the end of the road. Sometimes he sends you down the road to get the fork in the road. You cannot know which one it is until you go down that road. Almighty God is God. And just like Abraham, we always have to be ready for a fresh word from God. Just because God says it's going to be difficult doesn't mean he didn't. He, he said don't go. Here, we find the Apostle Paul, you know, headed off. Paul demonstrates one of the signs of a person who's heard from God. The person who has not heard from God often cannot find peace unless they're willing to trust. It wasn't that the Apostle Paul had disdained the counsels of his friends. He had not. He loved his friends. He stopped and made time to see his friends. It wasn't that the Apostle Paul had a habit of ignoring advice or denying that hardships existed. He said, look, I know hardships exist, okay? I mean, I, 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 know, I understand that. And it wasn't that he was being foolish. It wasn't that, you know... It was just simply that he believed he heard from God. And this is one of the signs of someone who has heard from God, different than someone who has not. In Acts chapter 20, stepping back there for just a moment, when the apostle Paul said, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. He was telling his friends, I don't know what's going to happen to me there, only that in every city the Holy Spirit is testifying that I'm going to end up in chains. It's going to be difficult. In verse 24, he said this, But none of these things move me. There's the sign of someone who's heard from God. None of these things move me. I know it's going to be hard. I'm not denying. I'm not disdaining counsel. I'm not being foolish. I've heard from God. And I understand that there are, there, there, there are questions that I have no answers to. But I am bound in the Spirit. And none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, that I may finish my race. It's my race that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. Sometimes we hear from God and sometimes we just have to trust that other people have. What is our part when we or someone we love believes that they have heard from God and have decided they're going to do something that gives us great concern? What is our part? Well, let me encourage you. If someone in your world has decided to do something that greatly concerns you because God said, ask yourself this question. Is my friend, my family member, are they asking me for counsel 
or are they telling me what they've decided to do? Because there is a difference between pre-decision counsel and post-decision support. If someone comes and asks me what I think about something, I will share with them on one level. If someone says, I have heard from God, that cuts me off right at the knees. How dare I approach something and give counsel where God has already spoken? Sometimes it depends on the level of authority that I have in their life. You know, if it is a dependent child, then perhaps if they've heard from God that they're supposed to, you know, they're 14, they've heard from God and they're supposed to date a 26-year-old, you know, that, uh, that is a truck driver and he wants to take them to, you know, New Orleans on a trip overnight, then maybe you want to say, you know, you haven't heard from God. Get back in the house, Missy. Okay. And then deal with the truck driver. <laughs> But if they are not under your authority or if they have decided to take themselves out from under your counsel and they are merely giving information, then you may not choose to you know, take great exception unless it in some way violates the word of God or the way of God or the will of God. That's evident. If someone says the Lord has spoken to me to do something that is evidently against one of those big ten commandments, then you may want to say, excuse me, but that's the devil. However, uh, it is just possible that people hear from God when you don't. And you have to realize that God most often, in fact, I guess always, speaks to the person that he is wanting to direct. Will someone else's decisions affect you? Yes, sometimes they do. But God still does not lead his people with opinion-based decisions or with popular vote. There is more evidence in the Bible, more credible evidence for rolling dice or flipping a coin than there is for raising your hands and voting. Popular opinion seldom produces God's best. Realize that God may not be speaking to you, but that's okay if he's not asking me to go to that cross. And what I've decided in life, and I've lived this way for a number of years, is that when someone, you know, uh, shares something that they believe is God, I give them the same courtesy that I want them to give me because I have been in that position more than one time. When God spoke to me in 1980 and told me to start a church in my hometown, 
I was relieved of many of my friends. Close friends. I remember sitting out in the backyard of the house my mom and dad lived in. I was sitting in a van and I was talking to two people who I loved and trusted and they loved and, you know, and, and, and spoke into my life and, and uh, a true prophet of the Lord and a teacher of the Word of God, a, a pastor and a, a, a powerful man of God and, and uh, said, uh, you know, we don't believe that you starting this church is the will of God. I said, well, have you heard from God? They said, no. I said, well, I believe God spoke to me and told me to start this church. And they said, we don't. I said, why? Because he hadn't told us about it. I said, well, is it possible that God spoke to me and not spoke to you? Because I do believe he's spoken to me. They said, it's possible, but we choose not to believe it. And what we have decided is that if God hadn't spoken to us, he hasn't spoken to you. We would know if God wanted you to start church. I said, why? Does he want you to start it? No. But we have decided that if you do, we are going to break fellowship with you. We will, we will no longer be your friends. And we will make sure that other pastors in the area know that you are rebellious and that you are out of the will of God and you're not called and you're not anointed and you're not released to do this. I said, well, who would release me but God? I mean, this is strange. And I asked them, please don't do this. And they said, no. I said, you haven't heard from God. They said, no, we haven't. But we believe God would speak to us. We believe we would know. I said, why? And there, they separated from me. And I was excommunicated and disfellowshipped by all the local pastors that I had been teaching and preaching in their churches. I've never gotten those relationships back. 1980. I think a couple of them think I'm called now. And, by the way, out of all the churches that were started by all of those people, the one I started is the only one still in existence. I don't know if that's vindication or not. Did I hear from God? Well, wisdom is proven of her children. We shall see. But one thing I believed, I believed I heard from God. And none of those things moved me. Neither did I count my life nor my friends more dear to me than the word of God. That I might run my race with joy and finish the course that he had set for me so that I might continue to be a minister of the gospel of the grace of God. I know what it's like to not be supported because someone else didn't hear what I heard. Don't treat people that way. I decided I wouldn't. So here is my fail safe. Number one, you know... There are only two choices. When someone says they heard from God, only two choices. Either they're right or they're wrong. If they're wrong, then they're going to need a friend, and I want to be that friend. Number two, if they're right, I don't want to be found fighting against God. (laughs) 
You know, take the advice of Gamaliel. It might just be God. You know, don't believe that just because you didn't hear or just because it's hard or just because it does not favor me that it can't be God. That's being mindful of the things of the flesh and not the things of God. Let the person who has to pay the cost make the decision. Amen.